Hello, good good evening, good morning, wherever you are, whenever you are, and welcome to Into the Black Archive, the Yay! mad Doctor Who podcast that goes through every single story from start to where we've got to, which is, well, we're very nearly uh, at the end of the second Doctor now, aren't we, Owen Cranston, my yep. wonderful co-presenter? <laughs> yes, we are nearly at the end of the second Doctor, which means, James, what does that mean? It means that soon we will forget about space for a long time. Not just that, an even bigger invention, even bigger innovation. The so birth of colour television. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, it is incredible. I mean, colour television had been going in Britain since 1964, but who simply hadn't caught up even because, what, we're in 68 now with this episode. Yeah, and it's... even then it hadn't caught up. Yeah, it colour television in the UK to start off with was a mess of strikes, delays, and breakages. Yes, because uh, BBC Two was, uh, for people who don't know, initially meant to be the colour station, and on the night of its launch, it didn't launch because of yes. industrial action and um, accidents and all sorts of things. I, I was watching. A documentary the other day about the ITV colour strike. Did you know about this? The ITV colour strike. I know about the ITV strike in '79. Is this a different well, one or the same? I f- that one. That's one where it went off air completely, isn't it? I think it was. Yeah, it was off air for like three months. I think it was like trade union disputes. Yeah. Um. In this one here, it went on for a while, but it had massive repercussions, which lasted basically an entire year. Um. Essentially, t- to protest against the switching over to colour stuff, which in theory, is more technically advanced, so the technicians wanted more pay. Mm. Uh, the technicians decided they were going to turn off the colour recording and transmission. So anything which was recorded in colour just broadcast in black and white, and anything which they were newly recording went out in black and white. So that is why, if you look back at things, at some old TV shows from ITV, I think like Upside, Upstairs, Downstairs, that's a big mm. one, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the big uh, ones. The first season is basically completely black and white because ITV only recorded that in black and white because of these strikes, which led to which led to massive implications for years to come because PBS refused to broadcast that first season because it was because in black, of the and, black white. and white. Issue. And also, it creates issues for shows which are recorded massively in advance, such as Coronation Street, which meant which they were still using black and white clips for like the rest of the year. And it's this kind of content you come to on the Doctor Who podcast, Into the Black Archive, where where we have a conversation it's... about colour television's history before we even mention the title of the episode we are covering. Expect what is that? this to happen a lot in this episode because <laughs> it's been a while since we both watched this and we're going to be filling massively. Oh, it's going to be um, good fun. A- 11 days it's been since we watched it. Uh, it's more like a memory test than a podcast at this point. What is the episode, Owen? That's question one of your memory test. What did we watch? So, I remember this by thinking about soup. How? Ah, oh, I see. Because the because the crispy bread things that you get... On the yes, soup. for croutons. <laughs> the, the, the croutons. The croutons, yes. I haven't had croutons in ages. No, we can't get into Nor it. Have I. We cannot get Nor into a tangent about croutons, can we? I mean, we could if we wanted to. It's like, like you get them at Harvester and you think, oh, that's fantastic. But then you never get them at home. You just think no. they're an out thing. 
Yeah. I haven't even had them as an outfit in ages. There's not really going to this topic. anymore. Anyway, uh, the Crotons. Uh, so, is... so, James, do you want to give us a synopsis? You want me to give a synopsis? I don't want to how, give a synopsis. How convenient I'm... is it that on the episode <laughs> that we haven't watched in days, you go, why, why don't you, for the first time in the history of this podcast, do this? Process, I will give it a stab if you want me to. You, you just need to be first out of the gate. And I'm I'm on it today, James. I'm on it. I'm wide awake and definitely not falling asleep as we record Would this. Would you like I'm going to continue talk, talking to, allow, to enable you to have a buffer to think through what you're going to say. So I'm just going to fill for a little bit so you can <laughs> work out what you're I going to say. You. So, so um, we are going to be continuing to discuss the Crotons in a moment once James has worked out his synopsis for this episode which he hasn't watched. It's a bit of a weird one. It goes back to good old classic who I'm ready to go. We've got I'm go, ready. Go take I'm it. ready, right, okay. The Crotons. So we arrive, the Dr. Jamie and Zoe arrive in what is meant to be a large society, but is really two rooms. It's uh people who are oppressed, which is a classic first doctor thing. Uh they're called the gods. They have sort of rulers called the Crotons are treated more like gods. Um, what happens is, at the end of like the exam year, because it will do exams, the two brightest people, for the, the most intelligent guy, most intelligent girl, are picked by the Crotons to be their kind of servants or overseers or whatever. They go through this door, they never come back. It's said that they live inside a computer. Obviously, that's ridiculous. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe arrive and immediately realise that's ridiculous and allow the gods to realise that perhaps they're not seeing all the things they should be. We also meet a bunch of these gourd people, including um, this guy Tharo, who's very rebellious, uh, a woman who I've forgotten the name of, uh, who is picked initially and is saved. And there was also another guy that got picked but didn't get saved. That's because he got vaporised into smoke. Uh, and this goes on for four wonderful parts. It ends how you expect. Cool. So, thank you very much, James. I'm now very annoyed with myself because I've just remembered I had an introduction planned for this podcast, which I completely <laughs> forgot about. <laughs> what was it? I was just going to introduce us the same way which this episode is introduced by just going, male, James, male, male gone, James Stevenson. <laughs> I think it would. I mean, but I think it would be forgot. disingenuous to call me one of the brightest minds, even amongst gods. Is it gods or gons? Gons, gons. I don't. I can't remember. It's <laughs> it's G O O N, but I've gone. Don't can't remember how to pronounce it. No, um, it's gone. Yeah, this. It is gone. This is. This follows on a similar issue which we've had this entire season, which is. For stories that aren't bad, but they're just a bit dull. And the enemies, the monsters which we've got, are the most stereotypical 60s black and white robot looking things you've ever seen. With and it just takes you out of the action. I like I don't know what's happened for costume design between this season and last season. It feels like we're in Doctor Who's B movie phase aren't we like the old yeah. 60s b movies like the monster things where you just got a ridiculous costume and it was filmed really cheaply and that seems to be the trick that they've pulled in a lot of these episodes this season because we've had the dominators which is ridiculous uh and is filmed pretty much in a quarry which cheapens the cost 
and then we had for mind robber which mind also robber. has the robots who look stupid and stereotypical and they also get to dress up a man as lemuel gulliver <laughs> pretty much to distract from the issues as now we're here and i think what i will say about the crotons is on paper this shouldn't work as well as it actually does because there's a lot of issues yeah. with it but the reason it works is that it's actually quite well written yeah it's quite well written everyone's engaged in it it's quite tense in parts there's the mystery is kind of obvious at start but it still keeps you gripped with, and you still want to see how it resolves at the very least mm. there's the setup is we've seen it before don't get me wrong but it's delivered in a way that's like that's slightly better and a little bit more refined and there's enough story going on and there's a decent amount of pace that you don't feel bored so it's a pretty decent who story do you think it's saved by the fact unlike for most of this season and a lot of last season that it's a four-parter i think so yeah i was i was even gonna say as much in that it's quite definitely since season five we've we've started to have to get used to the really long series the six-parters we had the invasion which was an eight-parter are you ready ago. for the 10-parter? Yes, the 10-parter is coming. The very the very um, iconic 10-parter, of course, but yeah, we, we still have to get there. So going back to a four was almost refreshing after the long ones we've had. And I still think we are agreed on this. Four parts has been the best pace we've had pretty, pretty roundly. Yeah, because even for best strips, scripts struggle to fill out that six-parter. But then... When they're sort of with two-parters, they kind of don't know where to go with it. They don't know what to do in that space. But then with a four-parter, it means it's nice and condensed. Even if it is a questionable episode, you're not in its company for long enough to realise how much you don't like it, if that makes any sense. I I can sort of agree with you. How I like to see it is that the longer episodes than four parts are are kind of like a train with no route. You've almost Mm. got too much freedom as, as a right when you've got that much space you kind of you know you sort of relax and maybe you spend more time on things that aren't that important because you've got six episodes you don't have to worry whereas a four you realize actually i've not got much time here i've got 90 minutes which is the length of a feature and a pretty yeah, it, short feature at that it's something which i've said on here previously the best stories are written when you get told you have to shorten it not when you get told you have to lengthen it. Yeah, I mean, what I... Because I did a writing degree for non-regular listeners' podcast, so I, I meant to know stuff about this. Uh, the, how, how I was always... Well, it's, it's up for debate. How I was always taught was that you're just meant to just trim it down as much as you humanly can, uh, because otherwise you've just got uh, fat in your story, which you don't want because nothing's happening and people get bored really, really easily. And so we've had a lot of these long who passes that have a lot of things, things like um, Fury from the Deep, which we watched not too long ago, which has full episodes that are almost fat. Full episode, which can be entirely cut. Yeah, and the Crowns definitely doesn't have that. All the episodes have a purpose. The story moves at a decent pace. And I actually think there's not a lot of big plot holes in it. I don't even think the ending's all that convenient. I think it's decently well worked out. I think it could have been better explained, the ending. Particularly towards the end, because essentially, uh, Doctor and Zoe go into a room with the Crotons. Uh, Jamie stays outside with sort of like the survivor, not even survivor, just a group of of Gons who decided to stay. Yeah. 
and they just know to pour. So they essentially discover which which everything in the city would melt with acid, including for Grotons. Doctor and Zoe obviously know this because they put this plan in place, but they never tell it to Jamie. But they seem to know this and just carry out the plan anyway, despite this never being communicated. That's for one thing about the ending which annoys me. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that's a little bit convenient. I think you can maybe... There's a degree of justification where if a character has acid in their hands, they probably think, well, acid is something I can throw at them. It, yeah, that, that's But why it isn't that it, well communicated. It It's still a good ending, but I feel like it's got a few bumps in the road which were not needed. Yeah. Before we talk about characters, I think there's one thing worth mentioning about the Crotons that I'd like to bring up, which is it's the first Doctor Who story written by a guy called Robert Holmes, who we're going to get very familiar with over the next few seasons. He's one of the the, the most... Uh, what, what's the word for he's done it a lot that sounds a lot better than he's done it a lot? Proficient. There we go. The most proficient Who writers of this era. And uh, for all you new Who fans, Russell T Davies cites Robert Holmes as his main inspiration in writing as a child. So the foundation of the best Who era, in my opinion, is right here. Oh, did you see the new Doctor got announced as well? You just mentioned uh, oh, that did to me. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. Who is it? I don't know, April Fool's. <laughs> yeah. Is it Mark We're Gatiss? On... Yeah. <laughs> Please let it be Mark Gatiss. <laughs> we're recording this on April 1st. Just ignore that little yes, comment. Yes, we're on April 1st where we are. Uh, so, shall we talk about our lovely... And wonderful characters that we've gotten to know this season and see how they are? Yeah. Let's... Who's that at the door? Oh, it's the Doctor. Let's review the Doctor. How did the Doctor do this time? (laughs) (laughs) It was... It was... (laughs) It was the lack of energy that got me... (laughs) There was no change in expression at all. <laughs> do, you me, do, you me, do you want me to go again for you, James? No, I think it's better. I think it's better like this. Right. Oh. <laughs> oh, who's that? There's somebody at the door. I wonder who it could be. Let's have a look and open it up. Oh, look. It's... Patrick Troughton's doctor. Say, James, what did you think about Patrick Troughton's doctor? Let's go. <laughs> we're at the, I remember saying this earlier in the season, we're at the going through the motions phase of the doctor. We got used to this in season three uh, when we had Hartnell still, and it was clear that, that they'd kind of ran out of things to do with him. They'd kind of given mm. him his arc, but now he was just going through the story and not really growing. Don't get me wrong, Trouton's like, fun to spend time with, but there's not a lot of growth. Sorry, Owen, you carry on. I, I feel like Trouton's getting away with it more because his Doctor is more dynamic. Yes. Which means he can get away with doing more humorous stuff, which means we kind of see past the, the stagnation side of it, rather than with William Hartnell's Doctor, which was very much a straight-laced kind of situation where you don't really have much area to play around with a character. I think with Hartnell's, with Trouton's, you can play with it. Yeah, but, but don't don't you think that that makes the character really surface level, where there's not a lot going on in the script for them? Yeah, yeah, it does. But I'm I think which Patrick Hatton gets away with it more than than Hartnell does. How how do you think he handles the story generally? Because we we've seen this a lot in the Hartnell era. This whole 
there's two races on a planet and one of them is obviously the slave of the other and they want freedom because we, we've seen that in things like web planet uh the, the 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 space museum you name a bunch of others as well but this is probably the first time we've seen trout in one of these stories like really clearly so so how do you compare him perhaps to, to how hartnell was i think he does it a lot more with he's a lot more gung-ho about it isn't he mm. He uh, he really does just get straight into it. Yes, the start of it's very like in your face. It's and we're mm. off with this episode, which is good because we've had some episodes where we do just kind of just lounge around for the first episode, which isn't a good introduction. Yeah, I have to admit, and we'll get into this more once we've done characters and got that out of the way. But the first episode of this is really genuinely strong. Mm. Like it's a strong yeah. start, and a lot of that's to do with how direct Trout is. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, as you say, we're getting not as back to the extent as William Hartnell did, but we're definitely getting the stagnation stage of him, of his his tenure. Yeah. I think you can. It's because you can just see it feel staler in multiple departments. Like the the creativity of how he would solve things is a little reduced, and the banter with Jamie isn't as fiery. And and while him, um, the Doctor and Zoe get a lot of time together in this episode, but even that doesn't feel. It doesn't feel the same way the Doctor and Jamie would at the start of the season, or even how the it Doctor was with people like Polly. It doesn't feel fresh, does it? No, it it already feels kind of like a tired relationship in a way. It's never had, it's never really started, and yet it feels like it's been going for a while, which is which is yeah. never a good sign. It you can definitely see why Patrick Troughton told future Doctors only stay around for three seasons. Yeah, because I think even. Even our, even towards the end of second season of Hartnell and Trout, we were starting to see this. It just seems that, you know, the writing team at Who at this this period, it's like getting a new toy at Christmas, isn't it? So you get the toy and you think, oh, wow, I've got this new toy and I'm going to play yeah. around with it and do all this stuff. And then six months later, you don't play with it anymore. Particularly Troughton's first season. It was, brilliant. was so good. Like, I, I, we did it with our anniversary episode, but if we went through and named our best six episodes, I guarantee you over half of them would be from that season. Yeah. Um, without doubt. But since then, it's just kind of gone downhill. And particularly this season, it really does just feel like it's paint by numbers. Aside from the invasion, which I still like because they got given a lot of, let's be honest, they got given a lot of money to do it. So yes, it does. mainly because the, what the invasion was, was kind of the back door for. Yeah. Well, I think even at this point, everyone was starting to think about who moving in that direction. Because mm. we're, we're, we're very much going into the transition now between Trout and Who and Pertwee Who, which are two very different shows. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like it's I remember you said this uh, line to something else we were talking about off camera. But it's it's um all it's all stick, no carrot or no carrot, all stick. At the moment, because they know what's mm. after, but it's not to do with the space stories and it's not to do with Trout. And so really, they're just fulfilling the production block in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a shame. Hopefully, we've got two more episodes which survive with Trout. And so hopefully, they'll play, it'll play off better. Mm. Overall, though, I still think there's fun moments to be had, but, but it's mm. just because Trout's fun naturally. Like, you enjoy yeah. spending time with him as a doctor because it, you never quite know what he's going to do. It, it's what I said at the beginning of this conversation. He gets away with it because he's dynamic. Mm. So it's not as bad as when Hartnell did it. But equally, it is getting a bit surface level. Yeah. How, how do you think Zoe fares then 
on, on the balance of dynamic. Oh, oh God. Look, there's somebody at the door. Who could it be? Let's go and open the door. Oh, no. It's Zoe. Come on in. What do we think about Zoe? Let's criticise her to her face. Is this Doctor the Explorer? <laughs> this is just a weird feature because let's be honest here. If, if <laughs> what we're currently doing with this with this stupid thing I've just randomly started doing, we've, we've got people coming in, sitting them down and going, you're shit because of this, this and this, you're stale. Do you think Zoe is shit, shit, shit because of this and stale? Or do you think, like me, that actually she's one of the better female companions we've had? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you and say aside from Barbara she's probably one for best yeah like so we've finally got there's still an inch of screaming but you can get away with it because she does so much other stuff mm. which it overwhelms that side of it and it's just so much fun because she is so smart so intelligent and does the fighting which means she's just so much more fun to be around rather than just someone going oh what's that doctor mm. she goes Doctor, it's this. Doctor, you're terrible. You're completely fucking this up. And more importantly, she just has more active role within the story. So it's not like whenever the story would get to a character like Victoria or Dodo, it would feel like the story would just come to a halt for that section. Whereas with Zoe, the story's moving forward because she has stuff to do. And in this episode, she gets a great deal to do. I mean, she gets picked as a high brain almost immediately by by the Crotons who are after... What's the thing with mental energy? They're basically turning mental energy into pure power. Uh, yes. It's, a, it's almost um, it's almost an iron into gold stuff, if you want to make that yeah. reference. It's... She's smarter than the doctor, it turns out, in this episode, because he, she passes for logic tests instantly. He takes a few attempts. Yeah, I almost think that's... I wonder whether that's to do with um, the doctor's more of a lateral thinker, and maybe he's always more straight down. And it's mainly there to illustrate maybe the different ways in which they think, and perhaps the test is more suited to people who can be logical in that way. But I don't know. I think it's a good colour. For, for once, you feel like the Doctor isn't the smartest person in the room, which yeah. is a great way to position the story, to make you think, well, actually, if he isn't the smartest person in the room, and the Crotons have designed a test that's too smart for him, then there are stakes now, and that's where we've, some of the tension comes from. We've got problems coming into this. But... There's one more character, James. I one think I character. hear someone outside my door. He's coming <laughs> oh, up. He's, he's coming up to the door. Oh, look. There's, I can't be fucked to do this. Let's, let's talk about Jamie. <laughs> what does Jamie do in this episode, Ed? I'm asking that genuinely. I've forgotten. Uh, he doesn't do much. <laughs> I wish it was rhetorical. The issue, the issue is, is as you're saying, Jamie was a fun toy to play with in season one and part of season two. Season Their four relationship five, with the dogs... Yeah, season one and two with Tram. Season one to Tram, yeah. Um, but now they're kind of bored with him. They don't quite know what to do with him to bring this relationship any further forwards. Which is a shame. Like I, I feel like Yaz is is a character who's been with the Doctor for three years now, three seasons now. She's one of a few which is with a Doctor for this long. 
mean, she's had the de- she had the decency to feel stale from episode one. But no, but even then, they feel like they're still building on that relationship. Oh yeah, they're obviously they with New Year's, they build they're, some they're, things. They're they're building, still building on relationship. But it feels like with Jamie, they kind of have forgotten which that's something they need to do. The thing is, is I don't think anyone was thinking at the time they could go further than friendly banter. Because you can't you can't go much further than that, effectively, without adding some kind of element that in the 60s would be bordering on illegal. So you but, can't develop that relationship too much. And then, so they, they forget could, to do anything else. Like, they started doing it with Fertest. They could have added in some conflict into into a relationship and then had, like, arc where they don't have conflict. Mm. But they kind of just leave it in status. It kind of just stays static. Which I understand why, because I don't want to change it up too much and all that kind of stuff. But it just means which when you're doing what we're doing, which is watching them all back to back, it's just a bit stale and they're not mm. moving anywhere. And we're kind of just sat there going, What's the f- seriously, what was the point of Jamie in this story? What it reminds me of now is that um do you do you remember um towards the end of Ian and Barbara's tenure? Where it was they mm. were kind of very much demarcated. It was like Barbara was doing and Vicky, I guess. They were doing, like, the, the smart stuff, whereas Ian was almost, like, put into the action man role a lot of times. Yeah. And he would go off separately, and he would meet people and do fighting and things. And that seems to be what Jamie is now. They've kind of lost the personality of him. They've just given him the action man jobs. So yeah. he's got he's got to rile up guns. He, he can't do the, the brain test. So he has to wait outside and do the dirty work. And it just feels like you're missing so many opportunities to develop the character. Because you could take him further. It's just now, yeah. I think... They like don't think it's worth a, doing. He's been with the Doctor for so long, but he's still so easily riled up by the Gons. Like, to me, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why? That is a weird one, isn't it? The fact that it almost felt like... And I have said the writing's good in this episode, but that feels like a pretty forced attempt at causing some conflict. Should we go past the character and talk about that entry scene? So they, they break into essentially into the room where they're giving out the award ceremony when they go yeah, into the Yeah, it's the most intelligent and, boy and girl are being given to the Crotons in some kind of peace offering, and, basically. And it's the most weirdest staging for a scene to the point where I thought they're in separate rooms. So they've got for Doc, they've got for Jamie and Agon fighting, but then for the award ceremony... It's going on exactly how you'd expect it to, with no one looking over their shoulder and going. They just kind of get on with it, and yeah. they just kind of sat there going, "Like Charlie, you you did this or pause it for a second to work out what the fuck this outside just fighting over." It's, I quite like it as a scene. I want to say that as a as an initial before I talk about it, this because I think it has an I energy like that a lot of episodes don't have. I like it as a scene, but I just feel like the staging of it is wrong. I don't feel like the bystanders react how they should do. I would agree with that, yeah. It, it feels like... Um, it's sort of... It's one I of those like stories... If, if, not, yeah. I feel like even if they had it where they were doing it in adjacent rooms and for people doing field wars, I mean, didn't notice, that would have been fine. Mm. But because they're in the same big open room... For people giving up free water, it would have been disrupted. Why weren't they disrupted by this massive fight happening on the other side of the room? Yeah, everyone just kind of carries on. It's as if they've sort of forgotten to give the extras anything because it's quite one of those contained stories. But there's not there's not a heap of named characters in this episode. Definitely not as much as there have been in others recently. Yeah. 
And it's almost as if, well, it, we've only got 90 minutes. Why would we try and introduce anything else? They're focused, almost lasered on that. And it just seems like the extras have been a massive afterthought. At the end of the day, it doesn't affect it too much for me because you're fo- the actors and the characters that you're focusing on are the, the drive of the scene both ways. You've obviously yeah. got the Doctor Zoe and Jamie on the side of what the hell's going on here. You should probably stop this. And then you've got the, the Chief Gond guy... Um, on the side of, well, why on earth would we start this? We've never stopped it before. You've got the woman who's about to be sent off wondering what the hell's going to happen to her. And then you've got her um, boyfriend, essentially, Thala, who's very much, no one's ever come back. I don't want to lose you. I'm not letting you go, which is a fairly reasonable reaction. Mm. And you have this big four-way conflict at that point. Mm. Which I feel like is fine. It just, as I say, for staging, it's just a bit weird of it. Mm. Do, you, do you like it as a setup, though? Because I... I yeah. I think what you've had in some of the other oppression stories is the whole thing was always you would meet the characters who would act, who would look sort of good and then you'd realise they were the oppressors of another people. That was a setup in a few episodes we had in Hartnell. With this one, you, you arrive with the people who are who are just kind of acting as like it's you you automatically know something is wrong. Which is, I think, the good trick about why this works. Before, it relies on you going, oh, this is fine. Whereas this goes, actually, it's wrong. We're just not going to tell you how. And that's a little bit more innovative, at least for the first 10 minutes. It's a nice setup. I I feel like they needed to have forgotten the Rotons to do something a little bit more. Yeah, they were very they were very much off. for the, Even the first two episodes, they're a very mm. passive presence. It's only later on where they really start showing up. Like, even if they just control random things, I feel like I would have a more of an impression. But on the flip side of that, you have an episode like um, The Macro Terror, where really they don't do an awful lot in the first two episodes, and that's a four-parter, and that works quite well. But we also have the constant sort of threatening voice of the controller guy. Mm, that's true. That is their presence. So Whereas- we've got... They do to some extent, but you feel like it's... They're very contained in the learning hub. In this one, like as soon as they go out for the learning hub, they don't hear the voices at all of them. Yeah, like they've kind of got freedom from it. Uh, that that brings me on to a point actually, and I remember saying it in the synopsis. They try to kind of say that the Gons is quite this, this quite big society. Mm. The way they've done it, budget wise and staging wise, with the two rooms basically does not make it feel that way. It almost makes it feel like it's like an underground bunker of some kind. It it's feels oppressive. Su- it suffers from the same problem which we mentioned from Power for Daleks had, where it's supposedly this big, bustling society which has got so much going on. But you essentially only see three or four rooms. And they've got seem to have no reason to go anywhere else. Yeah. The thing is, is you don't need extra rooms to convey a sense of scale. You can do tricks to do this. I mean, even things like... I mean, the Web of Fear has a bit more budget, but they were Mm. using tricks to make it seem much bigger, suggesting more going on. Not that we went and saw it, but it always suggested more was going on. Whereas you only... Anything that happens in the story, you basically see. And so it doesn't feel like there's much going on beyond the frame. Yeah, um, just as you're saying that, just thinking about the learning room... Like, even if they just had Zoe go in there and take the headset off someone, like, go, can I have a go? And have other people train learning there. Yeah. But they don't do that. They literally just have the empty training room and, and Zoe just picks up the headset and puts it on. And does it, and, and there's no one else there. And it just feels, it feels like they're wandering around a set. 
in, in yeah. truth, it doesn't feel like there. Were, there's been episodes in recent Who and previous Who where you feel a really strong sense of world building, even in episodes that aren't that good. But mm. with this one, the world building definitely gets lost, even though the actual story is fairly decent and fairly tightly packaged. Yeah, I, I agree. This, it's a difficult story. This one because it, as you say, it is. It's not bad, but even I feel like it fails on a few key points. Which, which key make, points make it, do you think that's say I, I don't think the staging's right in a lot of the scenes uh, yeah I can agree with that it's one of the big weaknesses of this episode I feel like the the crotons are just too big and too clunky they don't feel dynamic enough yeah I think I, one issue I've got with them for sure sort of relevant to that is they don't once you realise what the plan is and what their capabilities are in achieving that, the stakes of the episode die. Yeah. When they're more of a mystery, and the way that the, the Robert Holmes script sort of makes them seem like quite intelligent beings and then does these little tricks like making the Doctor fail a test that they've designed to make it seem really smart, there's a sense of tension that comes from that and you wonder, well, when we meet them, how interesting is that going to be? Unfortunately, the payoff just isn't as good as, as the build-up. As soon as we meet them, as soon as we essentially realise they're blind, the threat yeah. level just dies. Like, like, at no that threat point, they're not really all. threatening. No. And in reality, their plan's not particularly well thought out or smart, and it's very easily dealt with. with yeah, the, and with you can just sit, sit there thinking, these, these guys have been waiting so long just for a smart gone. Yeah, like, I mean, it must have, you know, it's like Christmas to get Zoe and the Doctor there. But still, were they ever going to develop a gone smart enough for that? Particularly when they sort of, like, siphon them off so soon to, so they can't get that intelligent. Yeah, I mean, there's a line in the, the episode which goes on, the Doctor basically says it's self, self-perpetuating slavery. Mm. Which makes it seem like it's almost... The Gonda making the choice to essentially get rid of their most intelligence so that they Wait, they themselves never become intelligent. That That's what I thought the plan was. I thought it was going to be a case of we're going to siphon off the most intelligence so they can't get intelligent enough yeah, to so, overthrow. Yeah, so we keep them under our thumb. And that makes a lot of sense. But then as soon as we realise it's, it's not that we're essentially just trying to suck out their intelligence but it's never enough intelligence. You kind of sat there going... Surely this that's... is not the most efficient way to go about this. No, it it's such as I'm saying, like it's written well, but there are just some fundamental flaws in it which just make you sit there and just question what is going on and just pulls you out of it. It's like there's someone from me Mensa who's gone into a set four maths class. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's it's more it's less likely you're gonna find someone highly intelligent in there why aren't you looking in the academy stream kind of thing mm. you know that they're, they're, they're fishing they're, they're fishing in a puddle as opposed to a river yeah and we also spend so much time sort of nursing for a person whose name i've forgotten oh is that um, the, is that the poor lady who gets um yeah. comatose almost immediately yeah we spend so much time nursing her back to health but then we don't feel like her being out of it really gives us anything. And when she comes around, she doesn't also doesn't really do anything. Hmm. Yeah, Varna is her yeah, name. I, f- 
I feel like there would have been more threat if she kind of slowly died. Yeah, but it's, she just kind of comes back. It's more of a scare tactic almost at the start of the episode. There's a lot of things that work really, really well in the setup that mm. don't go maybe the whole way that they like should. If, if if they had done it, so which she goes through this process, she comes out, she's nerfed back to health, but her memory is wiped, mm, or she as well, or she's completely lost any feasible intelligence. Like yeah, she's you'd a, sense of baby. a sense of tragedy with that. But we've got a sense of tragedy. We can see before we know what they're doing. We can see which they're sucking out intelligence. Which gives us a threat without going through the whole doctor side of things. Mm. It gives us a hint of what's going on. But we don't see that. We just see her being slowly nursed out of a coma. And then she's back and ready to go. Yeah. it's It's like... She was set up there to, to, to make us think, oh, that's a problem. But then that was the end of her story purpose. But then they realize, oh, she's still alive. We need to find stuff for her to do. Oh, and she can Jamie, find later. Jamie's essential job throughout most of this episode is it's nursing her nursing back to health. Nursing her back to health, yeah. And in a weird way, that's kind of been what Jamie's been doing a lot of recently. Because in the mind robbery, he's pretty much separate for the whole episode. And in the invasion, he has some uses. But even then, it, it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of memorable moments. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a weird episode. Is there anything else really you want to mention about it? There's, there's not a heap, to, to be honest. I think I think the main thing is saying that the setup is really good and it gets you hooked mm. into the episode for the first two, you're really in it. Even though three and four don't really follow up on the promise, yeah. I think overall it still does work. I, th- I think it's a decent watch and, and the fact it's four parts helps in a way because because mm. you get quite a good fast pace that doesn't overstay its welcome the story is satisfying to watch through to the end and the and, ending is it isn't the worst ending we've seen no, it's no. A reasonable one. if anything it's quite well foreshadowed because mm. uh right at the start the doctor mentions that the guns lack a lot of a lot of knowledge including and particularly chemistry something they just don't know anything about. So the fact that the solution mm. is a chemistry thing is mm. quite clever because that yeah. explains why the Gons have been, sub- have been um, you know, put under the thumb for so long. Yeah. And it just, the whole science chemistry thing just comes brings us around to the whole intelligence thing. Like, if we don't want the, the guys to be intelligent, why are we letting a scientist run around making stuff? Yeah, it, it clearly seems that the plan was to keep them unintelligent mm. until someone was intelligent enough anyway, and then yeah. use them. Yeah, it it's a weird episode. Which <laughs> it's have your cake and eat it plotting, isn't it? Like, surely, surely a fun way to have done this episode is yes, doing all the siphoning off stuff, but also kind of training up for Gons to try to think of new energy sources. Hmm. Or even doing something, again, macro-terrory, where they're using mm. that kind of, that voice. There was the whole thing mm. about Hypnopedia in that episode. They could have done that. Yeah. How they're going, create new energy sources. And they constantly get funneled information about, um, you know... Like, they, they even to an extent power. do that when, when, when Zoe puts the hat on and she starts thinking which they were pleased with her. Yeah, that that's it. It's almost like a hypnotic because that's mentioned that they all do the learning tests and they get this kick kind of from the grounds, this kind of happy yeah. feeling that they're happy. But 
they then never follow it forwards. Like it would have been fun to have at least a few moments when Zoe does the test, the doctor doesn't realise, but spends like some of the episode working for essentially working for the Crotons. Yeah, kind of just like to... um, how Ben was just one of the Mac Tower. Yeah, it would. There's ways which they could have done this, which would have been more interesting. Yeah. So I think overall, what we're saying is it's solid as it is, but there's yeah. so many opportunities to have pushed it further. Which, to be honest, really, it's a problem this entire season has had. Yeah, it's it's been fine, and I, I, there's not been an episode actually in this in this series I've really disliked. Mm. They've all been okay. It's just that nothing's They're really got there. Familiar. Not even the invasion really got there. They're all very run of the mill, paint by numbers kind of stories, aren't they? Yeah, the invasion was decent, but other than that, it's been it's been kind of just okay. Mm. Yeah, Obviously, we, we do we have see... a ten parter to come, though. So, yeah, we, we've gone back to all the old tropes, and we kind of hope they stay old tropes for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the second going through the motions era. Yeah, of who yeah. Um, we're we're plowing through because we've got two more episodes of Troughton, don't we? Yep. Before we've got we two reach episodes, we have got the return of the Ice Warriors. They'll mm. be coming back next episode, and then we have got the final outing of the fourth, no, second Doctor. Fourth? I know how to count. Tom Baker is here. Um, <laughs> We're we watching the for... Day of the Doctor fiftieth anniversary special. We've got for War Games a ten-parter where. There will be war and there will be games. <laughs> Including the game show element of our podcast that we will announce then. Will we? April Fool's. Oh, okay. <laughs> one one. <laughs> right, so... I think that wraps it up. So so what what score would you give it out of ten? The Crotons. I'd probably give it a six. A six. It's perf- it's perfectly serviceable, but equally it's not much more. Yeah, I, I I couldn't really give it any less or more than a six either, actually. I think that's about right. It, it does the it, job, but could have been better, and I think that is a little frustrating. It it do, It's everything we want in a Doctor Who episode, but that's it. There's yeah, no like, bells and whistles. The first two episodes are like an eight, and then the second two episodes are like a four, maybe even yeah. a three. Yeah, but, but there's just no spark. Yeah, overall decent, but but like you say, it just doesn't come to life in the same way as other episodes have. So, thank you very much for listening to In to a Black Archive on wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in contact with us, feel free to tweet us at blackarchivepod. Or you can email us blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Yes, please let us know. <laughs> what is that voice? I do not know, but <sighs> it is how I'm closing this podcast episode. So, if you want to have any more of this ludicrous mess, feel free to subscribe, give us a review, tell us how we did. It is the algorithm juice that keeps us going, like like mental energy switched to pure power. Uh, that that is what that is. If you give us a little bit of your mental energy, we might turn it into some pure algorithmic power. Isn't that fun for everyone? Juicy. And on that berserk note, I think it's time to end. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back 
with uh what is the next episode actually for seeds of death yeah sounds fitting <laughs> we'll be back with the seeds of death uh, only in who can you say wonderful things like that and it'd be serious eh so we'll join seed us then. your death next time yes join us then and we'll be here to chat more nonsense as ever so wherever you are whenever you are have a good one and we'll see you soon Bye.